I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they like, picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. Have a whiskey while we- Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. So welcome back to the United States of Dramerica, and I'm very pleased to have an old friend on here. We've been trying to get him pinned down for a while, and COVID finally has us both at home. So welcome to the podcast, Mark Rhino-Smith. Thank you so much, Dan. It's a pleasure. I know it's taken some time. Finally, we're here under these crazy circumstances in 2020. So all the podcasts I've recorded during COVID, I've started with a boring question of sort of how are you getting on? But given I've seen Instagram pictures of you cliff diving and water skiing, <laughs> I guess you're doing okay. Yeah, I mean, to be totally and brutally honest with you, through this whole um, circumstance of this COVID, I feel like you've got to just live your life. And uh, as long as you look after yourself and stay healthy, you know, you take your zinc, your vitamin D and you get sunshine and you exercise. Personally, I think you'll be fine. I think you've got more chance of getting the flu or a cold. I'm not saying there's no COVID. Of course there is. But um, I, you know, everyone's got their own beliefs or reasons behind it. But I genuinely believe from day one, I think numbers are manipulated. Um, I think it's blown way out of proportion. I just think there's a lot more to it. The whole mandatory vaccination thing, I think that's, that's on the pipeline. And they did want to make vaccinations mandatory. Am I anti-vaccination? No, but um, I'm anti-stupidity. You can't tell me or force me to get a, vac- uh, a vaccination just to fly to London or just to get on a train or for my kids to go to school. If you force me, you know, I'm an animal like that. So if you force me, I have to do something, then I'm going to rebel. And if you give me the option, I respect that. But don't force me to take it. Mm. You dig? Where, where, where are you on masks? Where, uh, I pers- personally, I only wear a mask to go in a restaurant if I have to or go into the supermarket. I've, you're not going to beat fresh air, are you? I mean, yeah. that's man. You, of course you need to exercise and get fresh air. How are you going to row or bike or run of the intensity that I go at and have something over my mouth? Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's beneficial. That's nothing to do with the whole political thing with with um democrats and republicans wearing a mask and not wearing a mask i'm just speaking about me personally i I understand and i'll respect my fellow human being by wearing one if they want me to wear one it obviously you know you're a fitness fanatic you have been since you were very young you have you managed to you've you've been going to the gym and keeping up with all your stuff all the way through this yeah i i i kind of upped it from the time this all came about and they said yeah, um, I don't know, you've got to be careful and this can, this can wound you and this can kill you. And, you know, that's what I, what I personally, that's what I kind of locked in on for. It just, this ain't fucking me up, boy. But I've been training all my life, you know, and, and um, this is where you've got to stay strong. And of course, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying 
I know the the elderly are more vulnerable, and I, I totally understand that. My mum, you know, and, and and all the people, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and you've got to respect that, and you could give it to older people. Uh, and, and I won't, and I always think that first. But you, in life, you've got to go with your gut feeling, and I think that's powerful. Yeah, look, I mean... Uh... There are definitely views on both sides. You know, our views, we don't know. I had asthma when I was a kid. Um, you know, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't taking part in bodybuilding competitions like you were. Um, <laughs> hard as that might be to believe. So, you know, we've been sort of wearing masks and not going to shops and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and we often debate, you know, are we taking this too seriously? Are we taking it, you know, are we wasting 120 days of our lives when everyone's out doing things still and we're not? And, I, you know, I guess... Will we prove to be right or wrong later? Yeah, it's better to err on the side of safety. My my wife was, um, you know, back in the day when it, the first like two months, I mean, take your clothes off on the outside in the garden, and then I'll go straight in the shower and take trainers off in the garden, and and I've done all that. But washing your hands, I mean, we should all be doing that anyway. Um, so that that should become a second nature. I just feel that we all have to just look after ourselves, man. If you look after yourselves, your family, and, and tell your friends, just stay healthy, man, you'll, you'll be fine. Mm. So let's, let's talk about the protest. So um, yeah. and you're a man who's been in the UK. I imagine when things were going well for you, work-wise, probably driving a nice car, and yeah. similar here. Yeah. Have you had problems with the police in either country? Yeah, I kind of just came off the cusp of, of, of like, heavy racism i suppose in london i think that was more in the 60s so i was born in 69 i was 50 last year i remember going to like under 16 club discos and i was into body popping and break dancing and i remember the older generation getting called you know nigger or whatever else or your black bars uh, you know i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on here but you know what i'm saying so so i, I didn't really see any of that firsthand um have I been pulled by police? Many times. Um, you know, I got Gladiators in 1995 for Nigel Lifko. He gave me my break and Kenny Warwick. And I'll always remember them for the rest of my life. And I'm deeply indebted. And I remember, you know, driving a BMW convertible and getting uh, stopped many times. Um, it does hurt me deeply when I see a fellow man can treat a fellow man like that and like, I don't know, beat him with a stick and then like a literally like, like a, a possessed animal. It, it enrages me and it hurts me. There's many mixed emotions that I just, you know, I personally feel when, um, when the, the policeman's knee was in George's neck, I mean, his hand was in his pocket. If you, you, you know, you look at his hand in his pocket, he was very relaxed about the whole thing. And that was eight minutes, 46 seconds, wasn't it? I mean, it's a long time for a man to say, I can't breathe, please, that's my mum, my mum. He's calling for his mum. I personally, I don't know if I could stand there and watch a man do that, whether it's a black guy to a white guy, a white guy to a black I personally couldn't watch someone do that to another man. I mean, Have you watched, have you watched the video? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Will Smith said it as well on his um, Instagram. It's not that it's happening more, these um, brutal deaths. It's more people are videoing it more. 
So it's been happening like that for, for a long, long time. America's crazy like this. I love America. And, um, but it's, it's just, you know, if you, it's so vast, America. You go to different states and stuff, it, it, you know, the, the, the right to bear arms. And I understand why that was made, but you don't need an AK-47 to protect your house, do you? Or a machine gun. I mean, back in the day when that was made, I'm sure it was just a handgun, wasn't it? But now you can take out an army with, with the artillery you're allowed to, to have. When you were in the UK and you got stopped by the police, did you feel sort of obliged to tell them as soon as possible in the stop that you were actually, you know, a gladiator and famous and that's why you had enough money to buy the car? Did you feel you had to sort of explain yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I mean, I, I was quite brash as well. I mean, I got gladiators when I was 19, uh, 1995, I was 25 years old and they used to pull me over and I used to get a bit lippy, to be honest, because I know they just pulled me over. There's, there's no reason. So I used to get out of the car before them and say, why'd you pull me over? Um, obviously, you couldn't do that here because they'd shoot me. But I used to say, why did you pull me over? It's because I'm black, isn't it? I said, you, uh, and I used to say, um, there's, there's no actual reason why you pulled me over, is there? And, and fire it straight back on them. And then they would like say, ah, oh, I reckon like you, Rhino from Gladiators. Oh, let's get a picture and let's go what you just put and and in the end we did we'd have a picture together or I'd sign their autograph and they would say sorry but I don't know if that would happen here have you been stopped here once okay in Palm Springs and I was uh, oh yeah funny story my mates in a Lamborghini Contage I'm in my Prius and, <laughs> and he's gone flying in front of me and I'm getting chicka, 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 trying to, to catch him. Nowhere near him. Police pull me over and he says, uh, have you been drinking tonight? And uh, he said, license and registration. So I gave him that. And then he says, uh, where have you been? I said, just came from a meeting. So I put my best English voice mm -hmm. and I said, he said, have you been drinking? I said, no, I, I don't drink. I'm a sportsman. And he said, okay, you have a good night, sir. And I said, thank you very much, officer. And that, that was it. So it's funny you say that about the accent. So we were talking with some friends the other day. So as, as you know, I've got mixed race kids, a bit younger than yours. And somebody said to me, I think half jokingly, when I was saying we were worried about living in America with all that's going on with our kids. And they said, oh, don't worry, when your son gets stopped, just get him put on his British accent and he'll be fine. Yeah. And the problem is, there's something in that. I said to Brody, he's 16, and I said, if police ever pull you, please, please promise me, keep your hands on the steering wheel, be very polite and say, hello, sir, or hello, officer, how can I help you? I guarantee you they're going to go, where are you from? And you say, I'm from the United Kingdom. I live here now, or oh, you know, and and straight away, there, it it will just diffuse yeah. what could potentially be something crazy. Do you, obviously your kids are you know they're sixteen and nine they're 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 not small. If they grow up to be anything the size that you are and go to the gym any anywhere near as often as you did, they're not going to be small people. No, Do no. You worry about them growing up in a country where yeah, well, it's not about the police, but the police have got guns, and I think that's the big difference. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I worry about that. Definitely, my wife worries about that. Obviously, we're both from England. Brody was 
you know, he uh, came here when he was four. So he spent most of his life in America. Sterling is nine. He was born in Cedars. Um, so, yeah, we definitely worry about that. Um, and L.A., I think we're very lucky. I'm in a bit of a bubble compared to other states where it could get very crazy very quickly. Within your professional work in sort of the Hollywood world, have you had any problems? No, I never had a problem in the Hollywood world. Um, I think it's how you carry yourself as well. So I, uh, I have no ego or chips, nothing to do with black or white. Me personally, I have no ego or chips. So I would say, my granddad always told me, I grew up with my granddad, hardcore Jamaican, and he always said, Mark, it's nice to be nice, and it costs nothing, meaning it costs nothing to, to be nice to everyone, you know, and it goes far. So a little smile and, ah, oh, how you doing, man? Or, hey, uh, nice to meet you. You mean, you want to leave a nice fragrance in the room. If I, when I first met you, I think it was the cricket, was it? No, the first time we met was, uh, well, see, so the first two times we met, the first time was a charity football game that yeah. we did uh, yeah. to mark the anniversary of the famous England-German Christmas football well, game, um, to mark the, must be the 100 years since the end of the First World War. Um, and then the second time we met was in a celebrity cricket game. Nice. Which Piers Morgan played in. The first time, and I said to you, um, "Hello, mate," or "I," and, or vice versa. And I said, "Hello, Dan. Nice to meet you." And you went, All "Right." Straight away, the other person's going to think, "Wow, he's a bit funny." But straight away, when you and I went, "Hello, mate. How are you? Nice to meet you." Do, do you know what I mean? And that's just your fellow human being just being nice and courteous to each other, man. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you've got a fascinating story because. You were on, it's not the, I'm sure ratings wise, it might not have been the highest show, but it's one of the most iconic British TV shows. Everyone of a generation knows about Gladiators. Yeah, it was number one or number two show in the 90s. That and Blind Date, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that, that's probably right. So how, how did you end up on, on a show like Gladiators? Um, well, I used to do bodybuilding competitions and I won the Junior British Championships in 18... 18- not 18, 1989. You're not that old. Yeah, bloody hell. And I was 20. Um, then I won the London Men's Heavyweights. 94, um, quite a few bodybuilders were going for gladiators at LWT Studios. So you have to do a fitness tryout. And um, so an actress friend told me that I should go for it. So Sorry, I'm just going to stop you. So when you were a bodybuilder, were you interested in the sort of acting world or were you? Into no, the bodybuilding? 100% bodybuilding. 100%. So um, I won the men's heavyweights um, in, in the north of England. on the London men's heavyweights, a junior British championship. And then went for a fitness tryout. And Kenny Warwick and Nigel Lithgow were there. And um, it was a circuit of like climb, climbing ropes, jumping, pulling, push-ups, running. And I remember how enthusiastic Nigel was and Kenny was for me to get up the rope. I mean, I had no technique. It was just brute power. I didn't even use my bloody legs in getting up the rope. I was literally just using my arms. And um, they, they loved the name Rhino. So the trivia is I'm the only gladiator in the world with my own name before the show. So their names were given to them. And then Nigel said, look, can we use the name Rhino, your nickname? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. 
Um, then they vet you, you know, you have an interview and we vibed and it was great. Next thing I know, I was going to Australia, 1996, and it was Battle of the Ashes and that was my first gig. I was very lucky. What was it like being on it? When you were on the show, did you, did you know how big it was? Did it feel big when you were shooting or was it just, you know? Yeah, um, it felt big. The show definitely felt big, but where it really um, resonated for me was my first marriage. My daughter's 23 now. I remember going to Tesco around the corner about 6.15 on a Saturday night just to get a bit of shopping. And I heard someone say, oh, mate, you're, that's Rhino. That's what you're... You, you're going to be on telly in 15 minutes. That's what, and then everyone looked around, and I, I kid you not, then they formed the line in Tesco, and I, I sat there and they signed autographs. Amazing. I mean, I loved it. I couldn't believe it brings so much like happiness to kids and like parents. So I was sitting there signing autographs, and then got the shopping, and then went home. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing. It was like a whirlwind. You're not, I went to a I went to Ireland, I think, 18 times. I went to Scotland about 11 times. You're opening supermarkets, businesses, you cut the ribbon, you know, you sign autographs for two hours, and then you go. But the, the happiness that, that is left on the little kids' faces, man, it's amazing. So where did the name Rhino come from, actually? Uh, Rhino was given to me by some friends in, in a bodybuilding gym in East London called Muscleworks, and they just thought uh, I looked like a rhino, you know, stocky, powerful hench they used to call me beefy and then um you look like a rhino and then when i used to come out on stage people used to chant rhino rhino and then gladiators and then it became more i suppose global well, definitely well, obviously the principle of the show is normal people although obviously they were great athletes yeah competing against each other but really competing against you guys in some some of them were sort of races as it were but somewhere there was real physical contact did you have to go easy on these people to avoid breaking them um the only time you weren't necessarily told to go easy but if someone was injured and had to do another game a contender you don't want to go out and try and break their knee and put them on the floor so from the time the whistle blew from the ref john anderson you know three two one um it was it was game on you know, no one wants to lose. So, uh, yeah, in answer to your question, no. Definitely wasn't told to take it easy. Was it a fun show to be on? Not just the sort of, the fame that came with it, but actually, given that you're a physical person, sort of beating people up with big sticks and all that stuff, is that, was that fun? I mean, from, you know, everyone's got their own, their own journey to tell in their life. But, I, I, you know, my mum brought me up. She suffered from depression. I live with my granddad. You know, it, you're on the, the food stamps um, growing up. I had two newspaper rounds. I mean, I could go on and on and on about my life. And it's totally different to my kids. So Gladiators every day was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I mean, they've all got their own cars. They're traveling and you're, you're getting flown here, there and everywhere. You're getting chauffeured. So every day was a buzz to me, to be honest. I was like, wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Presumably, you're, you, know, you make sure your kids know what your childhood was like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, th I think it's important because I'm just trying my best for them. You know? um, I don't want them to experience what I've been through 
but they've got to know the work ethic that it takes to pursue their dreams. And we've all got to know that, you know, if you're, if you're not willing to give up and you just keep pushing, keep pushing, you keep driving. Cause if you stop, I guarantee you people will just step over you and, and carry on with their everyday life. But if you keep, you know, if the saying goes, if you can't run, walk, if you can't walk, crawl, but whatever you do, don't stop. And uh, I believe that just keep pushing, man. But that comes from a sports mentality as well. Um, uh, I don't claim to be great at any sport, but I, I will always try my best. And I think preparation is everything, you know, whether it's, yeah. it's, whether I, it's think, I think I remember you not being very good at football, but you definitely tried hard. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, don't, don't let the secrets out. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. when you were on, when you were on Gladiators and it was, it was going well and, you know, you were becoming a, a name, did you think, did you start thinking, I'm going to transition this to Hollywood or, or were you almost satisfied with that? Uh, no, I was satisfied with that. Um, it ended in 2000. Our last gig was going to South Africa. And then um, I can't remember why I got an agent. I had to audition for an agent. And then my first gig, I'd done a, a little bit on Trial and Retribution, which was a Linda LaPlante production. She's a writer and a producer, well acclaimed in England. And then um, I'd done Batman Begins in 2005. That, I think, was a turning point for me. So Christopher Nolan directed. He was in the room in the callback with Linda LeSyson, who's the casting director. And I didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't know how big he was going to become and any of that. And um, once I was on set, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, you've got Liam Neeson talking to me about boxing. I had to box at Earl's Court against um, John Bentley, who's a rugby union English player. And we'd done a charity boxing match and Liam Neeson wanted to come and watch the fight, but he had an early call time in the morning. The next day I go back on set and he said, how did it go? I was thinking, why is this really cool? That's Liam Neeson, bro. And then, you know, uh, Christian Bell, he was a lot more serious. And I get that. He's a method actor, uh, obviously an amazing actor, but he was right in the zone, you know, didn't really talk to many people. And, um, it was, it was just great. And then I've done Robin Hood in, uh, in Budapest and um, learned how to ride horses. Then I've done EastEnders uh, and just kind of went on from there. And uh, a couple of years later, I thought, should we go to LA for, for, you know, to see what it's like? I went for a week by myself and um, it was industry Hollywood, Richard Burke who shows you around, you go to um, producers, casting agents, and you do monologues, you do scenes, and it gives you a little insight to what it's like to be an actor in Hollywood mm. and the whole process. And I went back and I said, yeah, come on, let's do it. And then my wife was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. We stayed in the standard, it, it, yeah. Sunset Boulevard, and then we rented an apartment in um, Palazzo on 3rd and Hauser, opposite The Grove. We stayed there for about 18 months, but we was only going to initially come for about six months. And then we ended up just staying longer and longer and longer. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've been very, very lucky, man. Doing the Rhino voice in Zootopia was, was I could never have predicted that. Yeah, because I say you've, you've ticked a couple of big boxes. Obviously, you were in a superhero movie. Yeah. You've been in a, you know, a Disney animated one doing a voice. But what I loved about that was, you know, you 
you played Officer McHorn, so you played the Rhino as Rhino. Um, how did that did that come about? Did they know you were Rhino when you were auditioning to be a Rhino? I don't think they did at first because they wanted me to lay down the voice for Idris, who was um, the Buffalo Chief, yeah, Bogo. Yeah. So they wanted someone with a gruffly voice, and so I, I would lay down his voice, and and then they they must have found out along the way, halfway through, and they said, um, "Listen, Rhino, when they met me at the elevator at Walt Disney." we would like you to read for Officer McCorn, the rhino. Um, it, there's no pressure, you know, just, just take your time and have fun. And internally, Dan, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to read for the rhino. And I was telling myself, so I stepped out of myself and I said to myself, relax, Mark, just, just take your time, do what you've been doing before and just, you know, have fun with it. And you got four of them in the room. There's three other people in the room. So seven in total. They're looking at you through the window. And really, it's the audition now. So although I've been four times before, this is for real now. And, you know, I just, I did, I forced myself to relax. I had fun. And they said, brilliant. You're done. You've done it. That, that was it. They laid down my voice. Amazing. And then now, obviously, they want to do Zootopia 2. Then Wreck It Ralph, the voice of God, and and you know I've done about seven films for Avi Lerner and Jeffrey Greenstein, who are Millennium, who do like Expendables and um, all the um, Gerard Butler films, Angel Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, all that stuff. Um, they, you know, I've done Day of the Dead, yeah, Creed in Philadelphia. Creed. That that I mean, I didn't even speak in that film. I was just in Tony Bellew's corner. He's from Liverpool. He's a professional boxer who went against Michael B. Jordan um, through the whole film. And I was in his corner for the, for the film. And obviously I look across the ring, it's bloody Sylvester Stallone. And every day we're doing hours of, of going through the scenes. You know, sometimes you have to pinch yourself. I mean, the amount of times and miles I've done running to bloody Rocky music. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> obviously Gladiators was not as big over here. No, but the, the people, so obviously, you know, people like Liam Neeson will have known that you were Rhino from Gladiators. But, you know, when you're in these other ones, do people know who you were and say, or is it not a thing here? Americans, just the English people on set. And I think they would tell the Americans and then that word would get round. And, and then obviously the power of social media, then they check you out and they see everything, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, at Mark Rhino Smith. Then they check you out and like, bloody hell. Never knew her that big 25 years ago and that size or you done that show. And yeah, I suppose that's the power of social media. Yeah. So what's, what, what, what's your next game? So obviously you've just actually sort of swapped sides and you've just worked as an exec producer on a, on a new movie. Tell me about that. Well, you know, the guy is, we played football with Paul Tamasey, your yeah. mentor. And, um, we were playing football Sunday morning for BAFTA. And the truth of the matter is he, he said to me, hey, listen, I'd love to work with you and get you in one of these um, films. There's this film I'm doing. It's a true story about a group of American soldiers that take on hundreds of Taliban soldiers and beat them in Iraq. And I'm like, oh, wow. And he's, I said, what stage are you at? And he said, I'm oh, just trying to get it like a bit more finance and stuff. And I said, you know, let me speak to... Um, uh, some guys I know, Jeffrey Greenstein, Avi Lerner, 
at Millennium. Um, and emails went back and forth, CCing me in. And I said, you know, so-and-so meet so-and-so, you're both great guys. Um, this would be amazing if, if you guys could work together. Next thing I know, long story short, they start filming in Boyana Studios in Bulgaria. They attached me as exec producer. First time I, I wear producer's hat. And it goes in at number one at the weekend just gone mm. on, on July 4th. So that was amazing. Extraordinary. Are you, are you acting in it at all, or are you just on the other side? For, I was actually too old. I mean, the soldiers are quite young. Orlando Bloom, Scott Eastwood. I mean, Mel Gibson's son's in it as well. Caleb's in it. Um, yeah, they're, they're in their 20s, really. 30s. Yeah. Are you were young looking. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Me and, you, me and you still got game, Dan. We still <laughs> young. So, is, do you see yourself doing more of that sort of stuff? On the producing side? Uh, not purposefully, no. Um, uh, we're trying to work on something, me, Jeffrey Greenstein and Idris Elba, actually. Um, I've done, I worked with Idris on Zootopia, worked with Idris on uh, Yardi. We filmed that in Jamaica. He directed it. That was his directorial film debut. You know, him and I went to Sundance. We really vibed. And we know a lot of mutual people, even from the club aspect, when we were young. Idris is, is, to put it bluntly, he's like one of the, one of the mandem, you know, he's, he's uh, done extremely well. And I think on a street vibe, everyone's really happy for him that he's come so far globally and he's still very, very grounded. And um, yeah, man, he wanted to play football in, when he was in Jamaica and he wanted to box and he's a great guy. But yeah, we're going to try and produce something. When he, gets, when he gets his part as James Bond, then you can get into one of those movies. Be amazing, wouldn't it? Me and you could be henchmen in his in his crew. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm still going to pursue acting. I've, um, there's another film that him and I are in, and it's called. Um, oh my gosh! You know you've made it in Hollywood when you you've done so many movies you can't remember the name of the last one. That's a either oh. you're getting old or you're getting famous. <laughs> and I'm going to actually hold on because that's really bad. You're going to Google the name of your movie. And it, we're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He actually got COVID, didn't he? Um, he released it and then Tom... That's right. Yeah, that's right. At the beginning of this, when... Uh, I guess it was sort of one, one of the signs that it was a real thing was like sort of... He oh. got it the same week as Tom Hanks. I was going to Google it, but it just came back to me. The harder... Hmm. Oh, James, James Samuel is the director who's Seal's brother. And um, we went out March 12th. I didn't see you just out there. It's in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Netflix film. Big movie. And uh, we'll hopefully go back to do that in the fall when yeah. it clears up a little bit. What's the industry going to look like? Because obviously there's no filming at the moment. How is it going to work with unions and everyone worrying about this? Sort of, how do you see this all playing out for the industry? Well, me and a couple of friends in the entertainment industry have been talking about it and they're actually really worried. They think it'll never, never be the same because the, the insurance on a film set, on a TV set, the game is going to totally change. Mm. Um, you're, you're going to have to obviously get tested, I suppose. You're going to have to wear masks. Um, you're going to get your temperature t taken. Um, if you go ill, I mean, the insurance, the, the claims are going to go through the roof, aren't they? I just don't know how they're going to work it all out. Mm. I'm sure they'll get around it. They have to because it, it's, it creates so much revenue. 
the entertainment industry worldwide for so many people working behind the camera and in front of the camera. But man, I don't know. The game is going to change. Look, I'm conscious of time. This has been fascinating. But um, I need to ask you, we actually haven't talked about drinking, because, uh, which is part of this. Um, uh, it was meant to be part of the podcast. Um, but what we'll do is we'll go on to our final question, which is a drinking question. So we can do it that way. So, Mark Rhino-Smith, if you could have any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? What would it be? And where would it be? If I could have any whiskey with any one, it would be Sydney Potier. Oh, yes. Okay. Where would it be? It would be in... Let's go... Montego Bay, Jamaica. Okay. Sitting looking out on the ocean. And what was the other question to that? And what would the whiskey be? Uh, your one. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's brilliant. I've got a big sort of whiskey selection. I've got, we're doing grey bottles of whiskey. And there's a, there's a bottle of whiskey that I, I can't remember when I did it. But there's a bottle of whiskey. It's become a bit of a standing joke now. It's got Merry Christmas Rhino engraved on this bottle of whiskey. Oh. It must be at least seven months old. It's probably 19 months old. Obviously, it doesn't go off. But oh, um, I just, because of life gets in the way, we haven't seen each other. But there's a bottle of Alexander Murray Highland Park 12 with Merry Christmas Rhino on it, which I'm going to make sure you get. Um, amazing. So uh, I'm sorry it's taken so long. But, um, <laughs> We'll have, we'll have a shot together. Yeah, and I, I couldn't give it to anyone else because I don't know anyone else called Rhino, you see, so that's the problem. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but so why Sidney Poitier? Um, he was like the first black man to get an Oscar. I met him once in Beverly Hills. Wow. Very, very poised, very calm. And I'd like to just sit down with him and listen to some of his stories you know something someone like quincy jones if it was if if i could bring back the dead it'd be like muhammad ali or elvis presley people like that frank sinatra i think they could tell stories for days man mm. yeah very good well, this has been fascinating look it would be fair to say you and i have different views on covid but that doesn't mean this hasn't been a fascinating conversation I love you. Just don't let them get you, man. Stay strong, man. We smash COVID, boy. Come on. <laughs> Mark, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much, Rhino. All right, brother. Much love. Mm, I love scotch. Scotch. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>